hope. That is our theme once more this morning, hope. And I'll begin this morning by noting that according to C.S. Lewis, there are three different ways of approaching hope. The first, Lewis says, is with a sort of dogged insistence, being ever convinced that while this thing didn't fully deliver, whatever this thing happened to have been, this next thing, whatever it happens to be, will fully deliver. Thus, in this approach, after, say, a job one wanted then fails to live up to the hype, or a marriage one believed in falls apart, or the money one romanticized having fails to make him or her happy. Such an approach to frustrated hope says, ah, well, the problem was not in the hoping. The problem is in what I was hoping for. Now I know that this new thing is the thing that is going to make me feel whole and content. Thus, a person given to this approach to hope tends to run from one thing to the next, often leaving a trail of hurting people and or wrecked lives in his or her wake, never ultimately arriving at the contentment that he or she is all the while seeking. That, according to Lewis, is the first approach one could take to hope. The second approach, Lewis says, is simply to abandon hope altogether. In other words, to develop a sort of cynicism about the very idea of hope. Thus, in this approach, when the job fails to live up to the hype, or the marriage falls apart, or the money doesn't deliver, in this approach to hope, one doesn't look for the next thing that will deliver, but instead simply says to him or herself, oh well, it was foolish to think I could be happy and content in the first place. It's a childish thought. This world is riddled with pain and tragedy through and through, so who was I to think that I somehow deserved something more? That, according to Lewis, is the second approach one could take to hope. Just to give up on it. But then finally comes for Lewis the third approach, the one that Lewis calls the Christian approach to hope. And this is the approach that when other things inevitably fail to fully deliver, simply says, ah, yes, my hope has indeed failed me here. But not because there's a problem with hoping, but because I now see that things finite can never deliver the ultimate fulfillment that I'm designed for. In other words, this is an approach to hope that says hope is indeed a good thing. Only I now see that my ultimate hope must be aimed at something beyond this temporal plane. Three different ways, Lewis says, of approaching hope. Well, I open with these words from Lewis on hope because, as I said, today we will be taking back up the theme of hope found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. 
And in so doing, I think it is very important that we comprehend what the most powerful aspect of hope really is for us as human beings. For while hope on its surface appears to be about the future, the reality is that hope is really about strength and sure-footedness in the present. Which is to say that far more important than the realization of things hoped for is the stabilizing effect that hoping for such things has in the present. Does that make sense? This is why we can withstand years of brutal struggle in pursuit of, say, an academic degree. This is why we can withstand countless hours and even years of mind-numbing work in pursuit of a promotion. This is why we can undergo the physical punishment of years of training and practice in order to win a game or make a team. It's because the things we are hoping for in the future are stabilizing our capacity to do what needs to be done in the present. Conversely, this is also why Dante at the gates of hell in the inferno places a sign in that colorful depiction that says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Not because there is no future hope in Dante's picture of eternal judgment, even though there's not, but because the absence of future hope is the very thing that makes the present so hellish. And this, to bring everything back around to Paul and the Ephesians, this is what Paul is trying to impress upon the Ephesians about hope in the resurrected Christ Jesus. It's not, Paul is saying, that your lives are now going to be blissful and grand. And it's not that you are going to start receiving certain advantages or begin experiencing new levels of physical or emotional protection. That's not what you now have reason to hope for, he's saying to them. No, instead, it's that you now have the peace that comes with knowing and believing and trusting that all things that hurt or frustrate or disappoint or fail to deliver in this life will find their ultimate resolution in. That all of these things will be drawn up into and transformed by the grand restoration of things which is to come. Good and bad, triumphal and tragic, all things here in this life, Paul is saying, are part of something bigger. And thus your future hope, he is telling them, must be anchored ultimately in this bigger reality. Not in things smaller or lesser or more transitory or more ephemeral, vital and important as, no things, as such things no doubt are. For if you really trust that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in the world yet, Paul is saying, then you ought also to trust that there is a far larger reality surrounding us, sustaining us, holding us, and keeping us. A far larger reality than that which we can touch, taste, see, hear, or comprehend. 
a reality with the power to bring life out of death and to breathe into existence things that are not. Such is the wide, long, high, deep nature of God's love, Paul says here. Its boundless nature holds forth a future reality that we cannot even fathom. And thus I write you all of this, he concludes, quote, so that you may be strengthened in your inner being. So that you may be strengthened in your inner being. That is, so that you may be stabilized amid the trials of the present. So that you may stand strong against the battering winds of the here and now. So that you may stand firm when all beneath you feels like shifting sand. So that your hope may truly ground you in a world where all other hopes will inevitably give way. A hope that stabilizes and grounds. A hope that strengthens us constantly in our inner being. It's a precious thought indeed. We all, I imagine, know the famous story of Horatio Spafford, the man who wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. But familiar as the story is, I want to tell it again this morning, because I know of no other illustration that better captures this approach, Lewis's third approach, the Christian approach to hope. Horatio Spafford was a prominent lawyer and businessman in the mid-19th century, lived in Chicago. He was a man committed to his church, to his family, to his city, to his calling as a follower of Christ. Well, in 1861, Spafford lost an enormous amount of property and money when several real estate investments of his went up in flames in the great Chicago fire. Then two years later, still reeling from all of this, in an effort to finally get away from all of the devastation that these financial losses had caused him and his family, Spafford arranged for the family to take a vacation to England. All in the family were looking forward to this trip, none more so than Spafford himself. But just before they were scheduled to set sail, Spafford had some affairs related to the fire suddenly arise that necessitated his remaining in Chicago for another week. And so rather than hold his whole family back with him, Spafford sent them on ahead, promising that he'd be there to meet them in England sometime soon. Thus his wife Anne and their four daughters Ages 12, 7, 4, and 18 months, all set sail without him, anticipating his joining them in England in a few weeks. This, however, as we all know, was not to be. 
For halfway between America and England, out there in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the ship that Anne and the four children were aboard was struck by an iron sailing vessel, capsizing their boat and killing 226 passengers. Four of those passengers being Spafford's daughters. His wife alone survived. Once Anne made it to England, she then sent Spafford a telegram, and all it said was, saved alone. Saved alone. Receiving his wife's letter, inconsolable and needless to say in abject despair, Spafford then boarded a ship to come and meet Anne in England. And there on the ship he spent days and days crying and grieving and brooding and wailing for, again, needless to say, his entire world had just fallen apart. But then comes the remarkable part of the story. The part that no matter how many times this story gets told, it nonetheless remains powerful and poignant beyond belief. Somehow, on the day Spafford's ship was passing over the very place upon the Atlantic in which his family ship had capsized weeks before, somehow Spafford, amid all of that pain and hurt and anger and despair, somehow he found himself retiring to his room and sitting down at his desk and reaching for a pen and writing these now famous words, When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. In the face of such devastation, in the face of such dashed hope, these are the words that this man somehow found it within himself to write. Now I ask you, could Spafford have responded to his devastation by soon enough trying to place his hopes in something else that is in some new source of meaning or purpose or thrill or excitement that was to come, perhaps in the case of someone like Spafford, some new grand glorious business deal, perhaps he could have. Many folks do in times of tragedy. Could he have abandoned all hope due to this experience of devastation? Just given up on the very idea of hope altogether? Absolutely he could have. Many, many folks do. And can you blame them? But Spafford's story is so powerful Because in a fashion that is almost impossible to imagine, let alone believe, Spafford found himself strengthened in his inner being by a hope that transcends all joy and pain, all gain and all loss, all victory and all defeat, all good and all bad, by a hope that holds and that hovers over and that surrounds and that indeed contains all of those things. And this robust hope 
is why. In fact, this robust hope is the only way that he was able to conclude this famous hymn by praying and believing in these words, Lord, hasten the day when my faith shall be sight. When the cloud shall finally be rolled back as a scroll. That is, Lord, amid all of this, hasten the day when all that is to come is finally revealed. When all that has been marred and broken in this world has been fully and finally restored. When all on this earth that is not as it should be, finally, O oh God, is. If we want to talk about being strengthened in our inner being by our hope in the promises of God in Christ Jesus, well, if so, then I know of no better illustration than this one. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, says the book of Lamentations. It's a powerful line. But perhaps we'd be better off to conceive of this powerful line as strength for today because of bright hope for tomorrow. For these, dear family, are not two separate items, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Nor can these two ever be disentangled from one another. Now it's Hope for the future that makes possible strength in the present. And when we lose all hope as human beings, well, as Dante so colorfully puts it, there is nothing left for us but emptiness and despair. So then hold fast to your hope, Paul is saying to the Ephesians in this letter. But then, too, he is saying, don't place your hope in the wrong things either. No, he is saying, place your hope in the immeasurable love of God and in God's loving purpose to and power to restore all broken things in the fullness of time. Place your hope in this, Paul is saying, trusting that this is a hope for tomorrow. Bright enough to strengthen us through the darkest and hardest of today's. In her famous 14th century vision, Julian of Norwich claims that she saw the risen Jesus coming to her and heard him say, Daughter, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That, in the end, is what we as Christians are called to place our hope in. That, in the end, is what Paul is exhorting the Ephesians to do. And that, in the end, is what we do well to do today. To place our ultimate hope in the loving power of God to bring forth a tomorrow in which all manner of things today shall be made well. 
And as Paul writes, so I conclude now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ever ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and all God's people said, Amen. And I'll now be down front to receive any this day who might want to commit themselves to the way of Jesus Christ or who might want to commit this day to joining our number here at Boulevard Baptist Church.